We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey Chargers fans, this is the Guilty as Charged podcast where we discuss all things related to the Los Angeles Chargers. We are available on all podcast platforms including Apple, Spotify, and Google. If you like the show, please leave us a rating or review. We do really appreciate the positive feedback. Make sure and follow us on social media including our Patreon account where as little as $1 gains you access to cool things like jersey giveaways and film breakdowns. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. Hey Chargers fans, welcome into another episode of the Guilty as Charged podcast. Joining me as always today is Alex. Alex, how are you doing today, man? Um, doing pretty good. So, we got Melvin Ingram back. So, the three-day crisis, yeah. the three-day national nightmare has been avoided. Yes. We were uh, going to record yesterday, but uh, you know, I was dealing with a little bit of a migraine, so Alex was uh, graciously kind enough to record this morning, and thankfully it worked out because Melvin Ingram is back in practice, so uh, this conversation would be totally different <laughs> if we had been recording yesterday, yeah. uh, dealing with the quote-unquote hold in instead of hold out. Um, so Melvin Ingram is back in practice, which is fantastic news. The whole situation is just weird. You know, it's unprecedented. We've never had this kind of situation where someone is holding out from practice, right? Right. And I think that it was, you know, I was very adamant the the first day he missed practice. And I was like, okay, everyone relax. He's not holding out. This is not that. Because this has never happened before. Like, we've never had a player go to practice and hold out at practice. Right. So it was a little weird situation. I know you wrote about mm-hmm. it. Um, what have you made about the whole situation? Yeah, I mean, so <laughs> the, the thing is, whenever a player holds out, or I guess in Ingram's case, holds in in football, I just noticed that, like, 
the reaction is obviously very negative for people. I mean, we saw this with, you know, Melvin Gordon right. last year, uh, Le'Veon Bell, um, you know, any kind of number of players that have held out in the past. But just looking at Melvin Ingram's situation, I mean, even if you're someone who hates holdouts and hates all, all you know, everything about them uh, and doesn't want your any players on your team to do them, I think that you just have to objectively kind of look at the situation and be like, this is a lot... Uh, a much different situation than Melvin Gordon. For one, Ingram isn't a wall from the team for two months. You know, he's at he's at practice. He's at these meetings. He's uh, <laughs> you know, Hard Knocks literally shows him on the practice field. Um, so you know, he's in the facility communicating with coaches and uh, teammates. Right. Um, and other than that, you know, he's been a veteran on this team for a long time, and you know, he's just I think focused on you know, getting this uh, off-season right and getting this contract done. Uh, and then, you know, the other thing that got thrown into it for him was the Bosa deal, right? Uh, you know, that, you know, and I'm not saying that because of the Bosa deal, you have to get an Ingram deal done, right? Um, there's a whole debate about whether you should sign Ingram, not sign, not sign him, maybe sign Henry instead. You know, there's a whole list of free agent possibilities for the Chargers. But, one of the things about the Bosa deal was always going to be increasing the price for defensive ends, and that obviously is going to increase the price of the guy who plays on the other side of him. So that was always yes. going to be a side effect, and I think that the Chargers knew that, certainly, uh, when they gave Bosa that deal, that this had the potential to become a holdout. Um, at the same time, uh, I didn't think that this was going to be a particularly long holdout, and Lo and behold, we see that he's practicing today. Uh, and I don't know what that means. Maybe that just means they broke off negotiations, or maybe that means they have a deal in place. I honestly don't know what that means. Um, but, you know, I also understand where Ingram is coming from from the standpoint of, you know, when, when Gordon held out, he had guaranteed money, right? He had a fully guaranteed rookie contract. Uh Ingram this year, you know, if the NFL, for example, had a coronavirus outbreak and pulls the season uh, in week three, right, Ingram's not getting the rest of that contract, right, um, just just right. because of how it's set up. And, you know, this is also going to be one of the most uncertain uh, free agent situations in a while, right, because we have, uh, you know, teams that are probably going to have, if the cap goes down $175 million, $25 million less to spend, and uh, obviously that would affect Melvin Ingram. So, you know, you're talking about a, de uh, a potentially decreased market, no guaranteed money this year, and then if he gets hurt this year, you know, he's, he's kind of screwed in terms of his NFL future. So I, I understand that people don't like holdouts and people don't uh, like when players on their teams hold out, and I'm not going to change your mind on whether holdouts are good or not, uh, but... To me, if you just look at the situation very objectively, uh, especially now that Ingram is practicing today and everything he, you know, he's done professionally, I think, in this holdout, I just think you have to acknowledge that he's been more professional than previous holdouts. Um, and that might be because of the NFL's fine rule, but, you know, either way, the net result is the same. Yes, absolutely. I think that is 100% spot on because... You know, Melvin Ingram's situation is very different. And I think there are right ways to go about holding out and there are wrong ways to go about holding out. Like you mentioned, you know, the Melvin Gordon, the Le'Veon Bell. Uh, Melvin Ingram's done everything that you could possibly ask for him. Mean, he's uncertain about his contract and, and his future. And, you know, there's definitely a, a possibility that he could have handled this differently. But 
you know, even yesterday, he was right there with the defensive linemen, you know, helping them through drills and, you know, kind of being a mentor without practicing. So I think he's done everything right. Um, I don't know what today's practice means. You know, we don't know enough about that. And maybe that come some more details come out after we're done recording. But for now, him practicing is a great sign. You know, I think this is him saying, listen, like I'm committed to this team. I want to be able to figure out my contract and have some long-term stability, but I'm committed to this team. I want to be here. I want to play with this team. And and I think, you know, him and Joey Bosa are are going to be looking forward to playing a, hopefully a full season together. I think that has just been kind of the missing piece for the two of them. Um, but he's done everything right, and I, I don't fault him at all for kind of voicing his displeasure about not having guaranteed money like you mentioned you know this whole thing could go up in flames in a couple weeks and and he doesn't get paid so i'm with you i think this whole thing made a lot of sense for him and i think he handled it as well as he possibly could yeah so the other thing that was going on on twitter which i wrote an article about this um was the whole trade melvin ingram (laughs) thing and we've talked about this before but i uh i just don't understand and and I I would think that Chargers fans of all fans would appreciate having good depth behind someone like Melvin Ingram because you know you never know what happens in this league you never know you know Joey Bosa goes down like in 2018 thankfully you have Uchenna Unwosu behind him or who could step up behind him or Isaac Rochelle did a fine job in 2018 if you trade Melvin Ingram and then God forbid Joey Bosa gets hurt. You are starting Uchenna and Wosu and Isaac Rochelle and Joe Gaziano is the primary backup. <laughs> so this whole thing about oh we have Uchenna and Wosu, yeah you do, and then you have nothing behind him. There is no other depth behind Uchenna and Wosu, and so I personally don't think Unwosu is ready to be a full time starter. Uh, Chris Harris did say yesterday that, or not Chris Harris, um, Casey Hayward said yesterday in camp that. Uchenna has been dominating reps so far, and that's fantastic. I do think the Chargers should increase his reps. But I fail to see the logic or the excitement about trading. You know, I know the Pro Bowl is overrated, but Melvin Ingram is a Pro Bowl player. And so I don't understand this logic of like, well, let's just trade him and get rid of, get rid of one of the best players and basically the voice of the defense in favor of a guy who had one sack and four starts last year. Right. Uh, You know, when you just talk about Ingram's, you know, you mentioned his kind of veteran leadership. He's a captain on this team, uh, has been a captain for, you know, going into his, I think, fourth straight year now. Um, You know, he's just such a big part of that defense in terms of quarterbacking it. I mean, you know, you have Casey Hayward, Derwin James, Joey Bosa, and then I would say Melvin Ingram is kind of the, the fourth leader on the defense, if you will. Um, and so the idea of replacing him with Enwosu is one that I understand from a financial perspective, but the Chargers also have a lot of money, right? So if you theoretically want to save money there, you can, um, but that also would require probably, tra- you know, if you do let Ingram go or you trade Ingram or something like that, you probably then have to take a defensive end in the top three rounds or something. Um, just just to replace him, just to make sure that you have proper depth uh, behind Nwosu, right? So, you know, and I, I like Nwosu as well, but I think Nwosu uh, is not as good as a pass rush of uh, a pass rusher as Ingram, and I also just don't think 
we've seen him over a 16 game sample size, right? And we we just haven't. Right. So you know, while I understand the theory in replacing uh, Ingram with Anwosu, uh I just don't think it's the time for that. Nor do I think he's ready for that yet. Now. We'll see how he develops this year, and, you know, maybe the Chargers at some point feel confident enough to move away from Ingram going into next season, and they, you know, uh, you know, just play in Wosu with that position next to Bosa. Perhaps that's a thing that happens next year, but I don't think the Chargers are nearly equipped uh, enough to do it and nearly ready enough to start in Wosu there this year uh, in the event of trading Ingram or uh, in the event that he would theoretically, you know, continue his holdout. I just don't think they're prepared in any way for that. So, and, you know, I just think people keep underrating Ingram. <laughs> he had the same production in 2019 that he did in 2018, and he started three fewer games. Um, you know, the guy is really good, and, you know, defensive end is one of the most valuable positions in the league. You know, the, to me, that's one of the other things that separates it from the Gordon holdout is that the position that Ingram plays actually matters. Right. So That's a good point. That's a really good point. I just, you know, I, I'm with you. I think, I don't think that Melvin Ingram is like a true number one pass rusher. Like, I mean, he did fine in 2018 when Bosa was out, but he was clearly better when Bosa came back. And so is Melvin Ingram a guy that can be super successful on his own? Probably not. But in terms of, second best pass rusher on our team he's he's probably right up there with the best of the best in in terms of having that robin to someone's batman and you know if they had traded him before the draft and then you draft a guy in the second round like etor gross models out of penn state like i would have understood that i wouldn't have liked it but i would have understood it um you know it's just the long-term planning now is too late you know 2020 you have to focus on now and so trading him now unless you're getting someone in return, like it just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to me. And the last thing I want to talk about here with this situation, if you take off Melvin Ingram and you play Uchenna Mwosu, that's fine. Uchenna Mwosu could in theory have a fine year, but it, what it would take away is pressure off of Joey Bosa. Because right now Melvin Ingram has the reputation. He has the ability to take away double teams from Joey Bosa. Unwosu does not have that ability or reputation. And so if you take Melvin Ingram off the Chargers, Joey Bosa is getting double teamed on every single third down, on every single passing down situation. And that's something that I don't think people realize is that it would drastically alter the game plan for the Chargers and for whoever the Chargers are facing on a given week because they don't have to worry about a number two pass rusher. I'll let you, I'll let Uchenna Unwosu go one-on-one all day. And I'll double team Joey Bosa on every single play, and I'll live with the results. Yeah, and I think the other thing is people talk about like, you know, uh, you know, or the idea that Ingram is replaceable, or the idea that, you know, oh well, you know, would Ingram be as good if he didn't have Bosa on the other side and stuff like that? But at the same time, the way that I think about it is like very few defensive ends in the league would be as good as they are without someone on the other side. Or without right. someone in the interior, right? Um, you know, Nick Bosa, for example, on the Niners, you know, he has, or last year, you know, he had Forrest Buckner on the inside, and the 49ers have a killer defensive line around him. Uh, Zadarius right. Smith, right? Um, you know, he has uh, a lot on that Packers defensive line, and, you know, he has the other uh, Smith right next to him, 
right? So, and it's the same thing with Daniil. You look at Khalil Mack, too. Khalil right. Mack had a great cast around him in 2018, and everybody was right. hurt in 2019, and his sack hit, his sack total took a major Right, hit. and Daniil Hunter had Everson Griffin. Uh, so, you know, you can go down the list of the best defensive ends in the league. Uh, you know, TJ Watt had Cam Hayward, right? Uh, so we can go down the list. So the uh, Von Miller, Bradley Chubb. But anyway, um, and we saw that Von Miller was a little less effective last year when he didn't have Bradley Chubb. Um, right. So anyway, just going down the list of all the defensive ends, all the defensive tackles in the league, yes, you need a more complete defensive line for it to be better, which is why the Chargers brought in Linval Joseph and why the Chargers have worked on boosting that defensive uh, interior by spending draft capital. So... To me, it doesn't make sense to get rid of Ingram now when you've allocated those resources and you've worked on getting a better defensive line. And, you know, there's very there's no defensive ends in the league that I think would be dominant enough on their own to, to work without, you know, four other decent players on any defensive line. I just don't think that's how the position works. Right. Totally agree with you there. I think people, you know, I was tweeting this about, you know, basketball players – Star players need help, man, and defensive line is no different. You know, quarterback is no different, and if you truly want a guy to be the best at his, the play to the best of his abilities, like, you got to get him some help. So the other big storyline that's kind of come out out of training camp the last few days is Kenneth Murray. Um, he's not practicing. This is the third straight day that he is not practiced. Um, we don't really know the extent or diagnosis of the injury. We don't know what kind of injury he has, or if any. I think if it were a serious injury, we would know. So I think it might just be like a little hamstring tweak or, or you know, a calf strain or something like that. I'm hoping that is the case. Um, Anthony Lynn just said yesterday that they are going to be cautious, which makes sense. You know, they've invested a lot of draft capital to move up and get him. Um, so I'm, I know a lot of people are, are kind of freaking out because this is three days in a row of him not practicing, but, um, just be a little more, uh, optimistic and, and cautious be to rush to judgment because we don't know basically any details right now. Right. I, I honestly don't make much of it. I mean, I think they described it as a little bit of like just soreness in general, um, yeah. and, but, you know, the other players on the team were also saying the same thing. Uh, Brian Balaga mentioned, uh, soreness just in general. Like, these guys aren't on a, you know, for the last, you know, five months since the pandemic, haven't been on a normal practice schedule, really haven't been on a normal, you know, team off-season regimen. Uh, so, you know, this idea that, you know, everyone's going to come back in guns blazing you know, that just kind of wasn't realistic just based on, you know, how long it takes to really get into training camp and how long it really takes to get into that, uh, I, I guess, kind of, you know, a peak shape and, you know, also just getting dialed in with your teammates. Um, I, I don't think it's crazy for Kenneth Murray to, you know, Kenneth Murray hasn't played football in, you know, since what, since, since January, yeah, since January in the uh, playoff. So, you know, he, like, and all of the other Chargers, uh, hasn't played football in a very long time. Uh, so, you know, and as I said, it's been a different offseason. So I don't make much of Kenneth Murray uh, in terms of the injury unless the Chargers release some kind of report that says, hey, he's dealing with a knee or, you know, some kind of formal 
injury report. Um, but until then, I don't really make much of Kenneth Murray not practicing yet. Yeah. And we've seen uh, in the past the Chargers under Anthony Lynn have kind of taken the approach of, of easing their rookies into uh, a situation. So I think there's just I'm hoping that this is just them being cautious with him. Um, you know, maybe this kind of gives Denzel Perryman a, a longer leash of, of being the starter. I don't know. But, you know, we just don't know enough details to really make any judgment right now. And I would just uh, encourage all those listening to just kind of hold off and, and stay patient in this situation. So the other thing I wanted to talk about uh, was Chris Harris's press conference from the other day. Um, when he signed, he went on NFL Network and said that he fully expected to be the Chargers slot corner that he expected to be in a situation that he was really known for in Denver. You know, I think last year when he was playing outside, he, he struggled a little bit. He still had a good year, just not to the uh, to the standards of, of the past, you know, that he had set for himself. But he still had a decent year. Um, so that was kind of confusing when he first signed and he came out and said, no, I'm fully expecting to be the slot corner. You know, all of us were, were really speculating how the secondary would work out because Desmond King had a down year, but he was still obviously much better than Mike Davis, Brandon Faison. Um, but his press conference the other day, he said that he expects to be the starting outside corner and then rotate inside occasionally, depending on matchups and, and how they want to use Michael Davis and Desmond King. Uh, what did you make of those comments out of Chris Harris? I think it makes sense. Um, I kind of liked the idea of him being slot corner a little bit more, just because as we talked about, he did have some of those outside struggles last year. Uh, then again, you know, it was the first time he had to play, you know, quarterback two in like 10 years. So uh, right. it, it had been a very long time since he had played outside corner. Uh, so, you know, I'm curious to see how it kind of works out. I definitely think he's a little bit better than Michael Davis at this point as an outside corner, but, um, right. you know, but I, I think the idea of him rotating in is kind of cool. Maybe in, it might be a thing that's matchup dependent too, because I'll tell you one thing yeah. is I do not want Chris Harris on Tyreek Hill. Uh, <laughs> and I do not want Chris <laughs> no, Harris on Henry Ruggs or any of those burner type receivers. And, you know, people can, you know, uh, I know, I don't think Michael Davis is a really complete cornerback, uh, but one of his advantages is speed, right? And we, we've talked about right. how he has played uh, relatively well on Tyreek Hill and on some of those uh, burner-type receivers. So I, I think in those situations, uh, maybe you have Chris Harris covering uh, the receivers that are more kind of based in route running, and then you have maybe Michael Davis take on uh, the receivers that are based in uh their games are more based in speed. So I think that that's probably how you would handle it. And then as far as Desmond King, yeah, I definitely think Desmond King's stock goes up because we thought Chris Harris was replacing him in, outside corner, uh, in slot corner, but that doesn't seem to be the case anymore if Chris Harris is going to be starting outside and kind of rotating in. So I definitely think King will have um, about the same role he had in previous years, uh, which is unlike what we thought for you know a majority of the offseason since that NFL Network interview. Yeah, it's definitely going to be really interesting to see how this whole secondary situation is going to pan out. But I do think adding Chris Harris to the mix allows you to take Michael Davis and only focus on what he's good at. And take Desmond King and focus on what he excels at. And take Brandon Faison and excels at what he's good at. 
because like you mentioned Davis Davis is you know he's pretty good against faster guys if he's playing you know a guy who can uh, make you miss and a route runner specialist he's going to really struggle if he has to come up and make plays in the run game he's not good at that Brandon Faison you know he's a much better tackler I think if you could combine Faison and Davis you probably have a pretty good corner on your hands but um, so I think this allows you to be more flexible and, you know, obviously Desmond King can, can focus on the things that he's good at in terms of being a good tackler in space, you know, blitzing off of the edge and mixing things up there. So, you know, I'm excited. I, I just, I want to see how it pans out because, you know, typically second players in the secondary, they're not used to moving around so much. Obviously, obviously safeties are, but like cornerbacks you know, traditionally just have one position and they play that one position the entire game and they don't come out for a series and then go back in or whatever. So um, they'll definitely have to work on it. And Ron Miles definitely has his work cut out for him and figuring out how to rotate these players. And like you mentioned, I think most of it is just going to be uh, matchup based. So uh, we are going to get to hard knocks, but did you have any, any other uh, topics you want to cover about training camp? No, that's about it so far. Oh, I did want to mention uh, Joe Reed. Because it kind of looks like uh, at training camp, obviously, we're still very early on. Uh, but it does look like Joe Reed has kind of taken uh, a little bit of those third receiver reps. So I guess we'll see how that goes with him and K.J. Hill. But I think right now that he has kind of the inside track to probably being the third receiver. Yeah, it seems like him and, and uh, Guyton are kind of rotating right now. Obviously, it's the first week of training camp, first week of pads. So we don't really know, um, again, how that's going to work out. Um, today, Shane Steichen had a press conference, and, and uh, Gilbert Manzano asked him about the fullbacks. Um, again, he basically said, you know, they each bring their own thing to the table. They each have different skill sets, but it's too early to tell. I think in the in the position battles of note, you know, really it's like left tackle is probably the only one that is is set in stone. I think receiver three, it's going to be a while till we know. Fullback's going to be a while till we know. Um, every coach that has had a press conference has talked about how excited they are about Sam Tevy. Other players have talked about Sam Tevy. So, you know, as much as I personally want Trey Pipkins there, um, I think we all need to prepare for Sam Tevy being the starting left tackle. And, you know, I. I <laughs> you I sound so depressed. <laughs> it's, it's hard for me because I've met Sam Tevy. I had a couple classes with him in college. Uh, he is friends with some of my really close friends. And obviously, you know, I am rooting for the person, Sam Tevy. He's a great individual. But it's just tough for me to think, like, that someone that struggled so mightily at right tackle could switch to left tackle, playing better competition and having more responsibility on his hands is going to be anything better than what he was at right tackle. Right. I uh, I agree with that. To me, I just don't think the difference between Tevi and Pipkins right now or Tevi and Storm Norton is really that much until we see development from Pipkins, development... I don't know if you'll see development from Storm Norton, but really development from Pipkins. So, I mean, I, I think it's unfortunate, but at the same time, as I've said in kind of previous episodes, I don't think Tevi is... Um, or starting Tevi at left tackle is as... a bad as it would have been in previous years because they had right. Philip Rivers instead of Tyrod Taylor and, uh, you know, last year, the rest of the offensive line in comparison uh, to the one now with the acquisitions of Balaga and Turner was much worse. 
Yeah. I think as a whole, the offensive line will be, will be better. I mean, how can it not with Belaga and Trey Turner and, and Mike Pouncey? I don't know how effective he'll be, but, you know, everybody on the team loves Mike Pouncey. And as far as leadership and communication, I think that will be a step up because Scott Questenberry was a first-year player. And I think I'm a, I'm a believer in Questenberry's ability, but so much of the offensive line is communication and chemistry. And I think it's just naturally better when Mike Pouncey is in there. So... Uh, we'll get to Hard Knocks, we'll transition to, to that, and then we are going to do a Patreon Q&A. Um, my first takeaway from Hard Knocks, uh, poor Darius Bradwell, man. <laughs> I, I feel so bad. For, like, I understand that he came into camp out of shape and, and all this stuff, but we don't need to include him being 20 pounds overweight in Hard Knocks, man. Like, I just feel so bad. He basically got called a fat ass on national TV. And he's an undrafted free agent. You know, he's trying to find his way in, in the NFL, and and now he has to deal with, you know, being called a fat ass on national TV. And then Anthony Lynn doubled down yesterday on it and was like, "Nah, man, like he needs to do some serious lose some to lose some serious weight." And it's like, can we not like, can we not highlight this guy? Yeah, who's an undrafted free agent? Can we maybe like talk about some positive undrafted free agents instead of the one who showed up out of shape <laughs> and twenty pounds overweight? I just feel so bad for him. Yeah, I mean, I feel bad for him, but at the same time, he did show up 20 pounds overweight, you know, <laughs> so, I, I, and I also, I get that it's a difficult situation for the undrafted free agents and the rookies as well, because they're, you know, as Hard Knocks detailed, they're all holed up in some hotel, while, you know, right. the rest of uh, the second year players and up basically get to go home uh, and, you know, have their kind of regimen that they normally do, whereas a lot of the undrafted free agents and rookies are trapped in this hotel. Normally everyone would be, um, but due to the coronavirus, they're only putting the rookies and the uh, undrafted guys in there. So, yeah, and that's the other thing I took away from it, uh, is that's, you know, how much harder it is uh, to be an undrafted free agent and be uh, one of those guys at the end of the roster now. And we've talked about it before on the show, but in this episode, we saw Austin Eckler uh, kind of go into detail on that. And uh, there was a specific special teams, I think it was a punt against the Niners uh, in that preseason game where he described himself as hauling ass uh, to the other side yeah. of the field. Um, and yeah, we all obviously saw Anthony Lynn say himself, you know, if we didn't have four preseason games, we would have never seen uh, Austin Eckler, right? So, and he was talking yeah. about that with Tom Telesco. We saw Whitworth uh, uh, say something similar from the Rams about, you know, uh, the potential. Um, so yeah, and just in general, it's a very different year. Um, and it's kind of unfortunate for a guy like, uh, Darius Bradwell. Yeah. I think it's hard to envision a way that Darius Bradwell makes this team unless he like really cuts weight fast. Um, well, I mean, he's kind I of, saw... it's kind of impossible for him to make the team the way that he could is the practice squad, right? Cause he, cause he's Eckler, Eckler, Jackson, and, you know, Kelly are, basically guaranteed to make the team barring some kind of injury yeah so you already have your three running backs there and then you know maybe you can put like a Derek Gore or you could put um Darius Bradwell on the practice squad um but you know they already have their three running backs really that's a good point and um it is important to know that the practice squad uh is evolving the practice squad does have more spots available this year so you know, hopefully some of these guys that get cut can uh, stick around on on the practice squad. The other thing that was kind of a standout for me was 
just the the mental aspect of the learning process that Justin Herbert is going through. And, you know, I think both Brian Balaga and Anthony Lynn kind of pointed out to him like, hey, I know that this is your first time doing this, but the whole cadence thing is an underrated aspect of what the quarterbacks have to do because Anthony Lynn was like, if you are really excited and you're doing a pass play and that cadence shows and then on the next play we call a run play and it's and it's just way less animated the defenses are going to catch on and that that's going to be a, a huge advantage for them so i think you know it, it was cool to see that kind of evolution and aspect of the quarterback position that not a lot of people talk about and you know i had to pause it and kind of explain to my wife and say like listen like this is why I was so concerned about the mental aspect of Justin Herbert coming in because he never had to do any of it. All he had to do was walk up to the line, maybe motion a guy, and then he just claps his hands and the ball is snapped, and then he had one read, maybe two on a play. Whereas in the NFL, it's everything about the quarterback position is so much more complex, so much more nuanced, and I think seeing how Justin Herbert was handling that was kind of cool. Yeah, I thought that was a cool thing. And to me, I don't really view it as a negative on Herbert um, from the mental aspect because col- right. college offenses in general are, you know, kind of basic. Um, I mean, so, you, yes, absolutely. yeah, we see this, you know, even if you're talking about Tua at Alabama or Joe Burrow at LSU, um, you're still talking about things, you know, offensives and schemes that aren't nearly what, you know, say the Patriots run or any of these NFL teams so, you know, the complexity of an NFL scheme and the cadences, that's something that all these guys are going to have to learn. I don't, I don't think that that's just a Herbert thing. Um, but, yeah, I, I like how they did contrast it with him just kind of snapping the ball at Oregon. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was interesting. And, yeah, and obviously I like that they highlighted that he has a, a, good, a good teacher kind of in Tyrod to be there um, and, you know, show, and, you know, uh, Balaga was talking about specifically, hey, you know, look at how he's, you know, working with his cadences and all that. And Balaga is obviously very familiar with his cadences, uh, you know, with quarterback cadences because he had Aaron Rodgers, right? So, you know, there, there's obviously a lot of vets who are familiar with that and can help Herbert. And uh, Tyrod is one of those players as well who I think is going to be very helpful to him learning um, kind of how to use an NFL cadence. Yeah, that was definitely interesting. Um, the other aspect of training camp that was, or not training camp, excuse me, of hard knocks that really made some waves was uh, the situation around Seth Ryan. Um, Seth Ryan, obviously the son of Rex Ryan, who was you know pretty good friends with Anthony Lynn. Um, you know, it, it made it seem like at the first of the show that he had tested positive for coronavirus, and then of course it became a false positive. Uh, which I don't know a ton about how that kind of happens, but um, you know, it, it just has become more clear that the Chargers taking the coronavirus um, protocols so seriously is becoming more and more justified. Um, I don't know if you know more about how this false positive thing works, if you want to talk about that, but um, Seth Ryan you know, kind of going through this was, you know, it was pretty eye-opening for sure. Yeah, I mean, the thing that's concerning about it is that we don't really know the rate at which false positives happen, right? Um, There's kind of conflicting data, but we're still pretty early on to the point where we're not going to really have any data. And it also depends on the tests you do, because there's, like, different types of timeframes and different types of tests that you can get um, tested in terms of coronavirus. So um, I don't know specifically what the NFL test is like. So... 
the thing that I thought just was interesting just from a player perspective and thinking about, you know, the season is just like, you know, what happens if, you know, uh, I kind of wrote about this in my article, but if Gus Bradley on Thursday tests positive for COVID, you know, and he can't go to the away game, right? Or something like that, you know, that would be a big deal. Or what happens if Derwin James uh, has a positive test uh, and has to miss a game against the Chiefs, but then on Tuesday it's revealed that it's a false positive, you know, after the game. So that's just something that I think is going to be something difficult to to do with this NFL season. Um, and I think that there's probably going to be uh, a couple false positives around the league. I don't know exactly how often they happen, but, you know, you have to figure, you know, that they will happen at some point. Um, I just hope that, you know, we can kind of, I guess, find out about the false positives more quickly, because as Anthony Lynn said, um, you know, Seth Ryan was out for a couple days, right? So it wasn't something where it was like, you know, they found out a couple hours later that he was false positive. It was a couple days. Um, and Anthony Lynn joked about, you know, if you wanted a couple days off of work, you could have asked. Uh, but, <laughs> but um, yeah, so that that's the concerning thing about me and, and the way that the NFL schedule works is if a player, you know, can't go to an away game uh, because the team travels on Friday, but then, you know, on Sunday it was revealed to be a false positive, you know, that's a, that's a concerning thing. So that's kind of what I took away from the, the false positive scare. Yeah, that it, it's a dicey situation. You know, obviously Seth Ryan had it. Uh, Matt Stafford had a false positive a few weeks ago too. So, you know, you can imagine how tough that would be on the Lions if <laughs> Matt Stafford missed a game or two again. Uh, obviously they have Chase Daniel this year instead of uh, David Blau, but... You know, you just never know how this thing is going to progress throughout the year and specifically how it gets into, you know, colder weather and actual flu season. So, you know, this whole thing could, could throw every team's season through a loop. Um, the other thing I want to say about Hard Knocks is I personally have never been so excited watching someone else play cornhole. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I thought the whole secondary cornhole battle was... I mean, that's just the reality. Like, it's tough to find good material these days. And, you know, I thought that whole thing was hilarious. And Derwin James and Chris Harris and Casey Hayward, they were, you know, talking trash as much as they do on the football field. So I think I thought that was a little funny inclusion from Hard Knocks. Um, any other takeaways from from last or from Tuesday's episode? Uh, no, I didn't have many other takeaways. And in, uh, in terms of Rams takeaways, uh, Rams are pretty boring. <laughs> um, it was it was a boring episode for them you know it was so much on that rookie linebacker and then the house hunt with Jalen Ramsey was weird. yeah I don't know why that's on hard knocks I, I don't I don't care <laughs> yeah and that's the thing I wrote about it it was weird it's it seemed like something out of a horror movie that they just like <laughs> that they like just like posted <laughs> these pictures of his family to like make him feel at home and buy the house yeah that's that's weird man um I did like how they highlighted that you know Whitworth's <laughs> Whitworth's old and he's been on like a, he's been <laughs> in the NFL for like forty years, but um, yeah, and he they showed that. Oh man, his his whole thing with co with the coronavirus was crazy yeah. too because his whole family had it. Right, yeah, his his nanny got it at some kind of uh, restaurant and then brought it home, uh, you know, unknowingly to uh, his family. So you know that that was a crazy thing as well. <laughs> but I like the clip that they showed of him. Uh, with uh, Chad Johnson and then the other Rams players yeah. are making fun of him, uh, but yeah, so that part was funny. For but sure. yeah, I, I I don't know. I just don't think the Rams have been 
that interesting. And I think the Chargers, you know, and that's partially because we're biased as Chargers fans, but, you know, I just didn't think Jared Goff playing golf was that interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Playing golf on his little, like, chipping green, which, I don't know, it was... And all these all these Rams players have roommates, and I'm like, why do you need a roommate? Like, I don't I don't understand. What, why can't you just say that they're friends? I don't know. I thought that was weird too. Anyway, so we'll get into our Patreon Q and A right now. Um, as a friendly reminder, we are available on Patreon, and you can support our show at any number of tiers. Um, the higher tier you are, the more access you get to the show and, and things like giveaways and film breakdowns and things like that. Um, so if you participate, even at a $1 tier, you get to submit questions and, and um, you know, get entries towards giveaways. So um, we'll get into some of these questions. So this particular question comes from Daniel Paler, who's been a longtime supporter of the show. Shout out to Daniel. Um, the question says high level, which of the main 2020 themes is more vital for the chargers to make a playoff run one, the defensive star power and altered scheme clicking to form an elite, not just very good defense or two Tyrod Taylor and the brand new offensive scheme clicking to form a top 10 to 15 offense or are both necessary to click at that level for the team to succeed in January. Um, I, for this one, I would say they're both important, but if I had to choose, I would say the second is more important, um, just because we've talked about, you know, how much, how many turnovers, uh, Philip Rivers committed last year, um, and just, while the offense wasn't bad, uh, it, it was just, you know, they were turning over the ball, it was just kind of sloppy on certain downs, um, uh, you know, we talked Melvin Gordon's fumbling problem, um, there were a lot of ways in which the offense, as well as the offensive line, uh, just, you know, seemed out of sorts from week to week. Um, so I think that it's more important for the offense to cut down on turnovers, be a little bit more efficient, uh, and, uh, extend drives than, uh, the defense being elite. Um, cause I, I have confidence that, you know, uh, Honestly, even with injuries last year, the defense was still pretty good. So now that they have everyone back healthy, um, you know, uh, fingers crossed, but now that they have everyone back healthy, um, it should be pretty close to elite. Uh, I'm more concerned for how the quarterback uh, situation works out as well as um, just the offense being more uh, kind of precise and efficient under Steichen as well. I think that... You know, you're definitely spot on in terms of getting to the playoffs. I think number two and, you know, Tyra Taylor leading a top 10 to 15 offense, that's more important. If the team wants to make a legitimate playoff run, then both of these things have to come true. And I think that is where, you know, the difference lies. I think if the Chargers, like you mentioned, the defense last year was solid, even though a lot of people would, you know, <laughs> were complaining about the lack of turnovers. In terms of limiting points and and putting their offense in a position to succeed, they did that on a week to week basis. Um, so if the defense will can improve with another healthy year under Gus, Gus Bradley, obviously I think that'll help. But I think if the Chargers' offense is bad, then their season is going to be bad again. So it's just it's just the nature of the game right now. You can have a a good offense and a bad defense and still be a winning team, but you can't have a bad offense and still win games in 2020. Um, 
The next question comes from Marcus A. Torigian. Um, he says, my question is more projecting which player that is slash has been an unknown likely makes the big step forward this year. And his four choices are Justin Herbert, Forrest Lamp, Jerry Tillery, or Nasir Adderley. I think I personally, you know, at this point right now, I'm assuming that Lamp and Tillery are not starting. I'm assuming that Justin Herbert is not starting. And those are different situations. You know, I, I unless Lamp, um, you know, is forced in due to injury, Tillery's a backup who will play a lot. I think Adderley is a backup who will play a lot. So I think it's between Tillery or Adderley. And my money's on Adderley, man. I think Adderley's going to come in and, you know, play 10 to 15 snaps to start the year. And then it's just going to go up and up and up from there. I'm a big believer in his talent. Um, not to say that I'm not a believer in Tillery's talent, but I just think that they're going to kind of ease him into this year again. Uh, so I'm going to go with Adderley here. I'd also go with Adderley. I think the thing that helps Tillery is the fact that they do have Linval Joseph now. So they, they have another um, interior presence that I think is good. So I think, you know, if I had to pick from that question, it would be Adderley. But I think it could really be Adderley or Tillery. Herbert, as we said, uh, I, I just don't think is going to start um, just because I think the Chargers will be fairly competitive. And, you know, um, you know unless they're like 3-9 and nine by week 12 or something, uh, I just don't see uh, I just don't see Justin Herbert getting in. Lamp is interesting because they've talked about putting him at left tackle. They've talked about left guard. Um, I guess that would really just depend on you know whether they view him as a starter or whether they see him uh, kind of as just the backup. Uh, I think he's likely just depth this year. And as we've said, I think the Chargers' goal for him this year is just stay healthy, right? Um, you know, as opposed to really having like a breakout campaign or something. Um, in terms of kind of more unknown guys, uh, just that I can think of, uh, yeah, I mean, we talked about Parham, uh, you know, maybe him being kind of that second receiving tight end. That could be interesting. And another Steven Anderson, Steven Anderson is another one as well. So, you know, whichever one of them becomes really the second receiving tight end would play at least a decently big role in the team, I think. Um, and then after that, I don't know if there's many breakout candidates. Um, maybe you see more snaps from Kaiser White, though I, I wouldn't call him really a breakout because we already know he's decent. So, you know, but yeah, I, I think you covered the breakout guys pretty well there, but I would pick uh, Adderley out of those, yeah. For sure, for sure. Uh, so he did a part two as well. He said, in the same vein, which known player is most likely to regress? Um, and his four choices are Austin Eckler, Mike Williams, Melvin Ingram, or Casey Hayward. It kind of depends on what regression means, because if we're just talking about in terms of stats, like you could have, you know, the Chargers have Joe Reed, KJ Hill, uh, and just more that they're pumping into this offense, right? So you could see Eckler's receiving yards, for example, go down and his, you know, rushing yards uh, go up a little bit. So, but I wouldn't really call that regression. Um, and it's kind of the same thing with Ingram. Like, even if Ingram had one less sack and a couple less pressures, I don't know if I would really call that true regression. Um, and it might even be the same for, like, Mike Williams. Like, if Mike Williams, due to having more options as a receiver this year, 
if Mike Williams has more receiving yards but fewer receptions, um, or sorry, no, uh, more receptions but fewer receiving yards, I wouldn't really call that regression either. Um, right. If I had to choose who I think will truly like regress from a playing quality standpoint, it would probably be Ingram, uh, just because of age. Um, you know, Hayward's a little close to his age as well, but I think Hayward's game is based less in um, athleticism and more based in just kind of using his smarts and, you know, keeping track of the ball. So if I had to choose, I would say Ingram, but I honestly don't think he even he would uh, regress that much, honestly. Yeah, these fours, it, it, it's tough to pinpoint one. I feel like statistically, the most likely one to regress in terms of, you know, Mike Williams had a 1,000-yard season. I don't think he gets to a 1,000 yards this year. Um, but everybody in camp has said that his route running is much better than it was last year. Uh, and he only had two touchdowns last year. So I think if Mike Williams has, you know, 60 catches, 800 yards, and six touchdowns, I think that's a pretty successful season for Mike Williams. Um, but in terms of yards, obviously, I think that would be a regression. I don't, of these four, it's tough to pinpoint that one. I think Mike Williams was, was the immediate standout. I agree that I think Melvin Ingram, from an ability standpoint, is probably the most likely. There are some who have said that he's already declined. I don't know if I agree with. I don't know if I agree with that. I think 2018, in 2016 and 17, he was. Those were the two best years of his career. He was amazing in those years. You know, double-digit sacks, double-digit pressures. Um, you know, 2018, Bosa missed 11 games, and so I think naturally Ingram's uh, production came down. And last year, he missed. Three starts. He went. He left early the, of the Miami game, so he really only played twelve whole games. And like you said earlier in the year, or early in the episode, his production was pretty much the same from eighteen to nineteen. So ability wise, I think it's Ingram, but I don't know how much. I think it might be a slight regression. I don't. But this was this was a good question uh, from Marcus. So we'll move on to the next one from Sean Castro. Um, he said, how do you guys see Michael Davis or Brandon Faison performing this year? Can you see some sizable growth from either one? And then he said, also random question is Alex rooting for the flyers or capitals if they meet in the Eastern conference finals. And I get why Philly, but how did a caps fan come about? Sorry for the off topic questions. Um, all right. So first with Michael Davis and Faison. You know, I, I don't know if I see sizable growth from Davis, but I could see him being a little bit better um, just with coverage. And then, as we said, you know, keeping track of those matchups against uh, burners and those kind of uh, speedy wide receivers. Faceon, I don't really know. Uh, I, I just honestly don't know how much Faceon's going to play because now they have Harris and they have Davis and they have King in the slot. So... Really, honestly, unless, like, one or two of them goes down with a significant injury, I don't see Faison getting much time. Um, Faison is interesting, and, yeah, as, as we mentioned earlier in the show, Faison and Davis sort of have the opposite problems, uh, where, you know, one is a really good tackler, but crap in coverage, and one is really great uh, in coverage, but a crap tackler. So it's um, it's kind of an interesting situation with him and Davis. I would expect more out of Davis this season just because I think that he's proven with his speed and just his experience playing CB2 uh, post Trevor Williams uh, being released. 
Um, you know, I think that he's proven he can kind of stay there. Um, oh, and also regarding the flyers and caps. Uh, so yeah, I, uh, sort of, yeah, so obviously I'm from Philly, so I support all the Philly sports teams, which is unfortunate because the Sixers are a complete garbage organization. Um, but <laughs> other than that, uh, yeah, so obviously I'm rooting for the Flyers in the playoffs. Um, being a Caps fan came about because uh, a lot of my family is Russian, uh, and I sort of got integrated into uh, Ovechkin-based po- propaganda, and uh, I sort of got sucked into that. And I honestly started rooting for them around 2009, 2010. Um, and I just got attached to the whole team after that, um, even after Ovechkin. Uh, so I got into all those. As far as, like, which one I would root for if they met in the Eastern Conference Finals, uh, probably the Flyers, just because they haven't won a cup. This is also, like, when people ask me <laughs> would I root for the Chargers at the Eagles in, in a hypothetical Super Bowl matchup, um, which will never happen. <laughs> but... People ask me about that, and it's like, well, the Eagles kind of want a Super Bowl now, so I kind of have to say Chargers, right? Because I want to see them uh, win the Super Bowl as well. So it's kind of the same thing, because uh, the Flyers haven't <laughs> won a cup in 45 years. Uh, but, yeah, so I would probably root for the Flyers in that situation. Um, Great question from Sean. Yeah. That's a, that would be an interesting, you know, I personally don't have, like, a, a second team, but... You know, you being from more of like a, you know, you've moved around a lot and things like that. So I think that would be a, can you imagine, you know, you have Carson Wentz going for his first Super Bowl starter <laughs> versus, you know, Tyron Taylor. Like that would be a tough, that would be a tough day I, to. I would die. <laughs> I'd be like, yes, Joey Bosa. Wait, no, what are you doing? That'd be a tough situation. Yeah. Um, that'd be a tough situation, which is why it's good that it'll probably never happen. <laughs> but, <laughs> but if it does happen in the history of this podcast, uh, I will post a video of me to the GAC Twitter account uh, eating a shoe. Eating a shoe. <laughs> so we now have bets of you potentially doing a handstand <laughs> or eating a shoe. Yeah. The handstand, if, for those stuff. that don't know, is if we get to 110 reviews on iTunes, I will do uh, the first 30 minutes of a show. Uh, while doing a handstand. Can you do a handstand for that long? <laughs> Probably not, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> good stuff, man. Good stuff. That was a good answer. Uh, getting back to the Davis and Faceon thing, I think both will be slightly better. You know, second year for them under Ron Milas. Um, you know, I think Ron Milas is as good as it gets in terms of secondary coaches, and so you know, I think he can help both of them work on some te- some technique issues. Uh, but like you mentioned, I just don't know how much Faison is going to play. And I think, again, getting back to Davis, I think in a smaller role, he will be able to excel more, if that makes sense, because the errors will be able to uh, be decreased. And so I think, you know, having Chris Harris there is going to be good for everyone. And I think specifically Michael Davis, who won't have to worry about coming up and tackling because all he'll do is just be like a... a passing down corner so uh good stuff today man that was a good episode a lot of good content any other topics or things you want to get into before we wrap before we wrap up today uh no that's about it i did see sean did ask about the kittle and kelsey deals but we did kind of cover that with um hunter henry so i guess you can go back to last episode or episode i don't remember which one we talked about the kittle and the kelsey deals (laughs) i think it was like last thursday so yeah or last friday ish uh, so you could go listen to that episode if you want to take on that. But, yeah, so we kind of already did talk about that one. So, but, yeah, no, that's uh, that's about it. Yeah, that's that'll do it for today. We are uh, going to be doing our Broncos breakdown 
for our next episode. Our good friend Travis Wakeman joined us, and uh, we had a good chat with him about the Broncos. And then you know, we're getting closer and closer to this season, and as we do get closer, we will start previewing uh, more teams on the Chargers schedule and then ultimately doing some uh, week one preview of the week of the Bengals. And we are going to do another uh, Bolt Beat roundtable with all the other writers on Bolt Beat and kind of get their thoughts and, and predictions for 2020. So I'm just excited, man. Football is, is coming back and, you know, there's a lot of good content coming out, lots of good stuff to talk about and uh, just a lot to be excited about for, for Chargers fans. You know, as long as everyone stays healthy, I think this should be a, uh, a much more consistent 2020 than 2019. Um Make sure you follow us on all social media platforms at Alex Landstorff and at Stephen I Hagland and of course at GZ Podcast Seventeen. Uh, if you want to see Alex do a headstand or a handstand, excuse me, make sure you leave us a rating and a review, and uh, that'll do it for today's show, guys. Thanks for tuning in.